Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. Awesome. Grateful for that. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to pray, uh, begin the morning with prayer. We're going to pray for family fellowship this morning, pray for Paul Blue and his wife Lynn. Um, It's interesting to me how at times I realize that we straddle uh, uh, ministries uh, with other churches in our area and how those ministries intersect. And just uh, Paul and Lynn are um, on my minds this morning. Family, family fellowship is on my mind. I'm thankful for their ministry, and I'd like to pray for them, pray for um, God to be glorified in and through it. So let's pray. Lord, this morning, before I pray some specifics for how we spend these next few minutes, we want to just set our personal requests aside for a moment and pray for another church in our community. I want to pray for family fellowship, Lord. I'm thankful for the many years of ministry that Family Fellowship has had in our community. I'm thankful for the lives that have been changed and transformed and the disciples that have been made. Lord, I'm thankful for the churches that they've planted, uh, the mission uh, work that they've been about. Lord, I'm, I'm um, just burdened for Paul and Lynn this morning, just lifting them up, uh, just wanting you to just bless them. Uh, just, I pray that you would guard them from some of the uh, difficulties uh, or sustain them in the difficulties maybe um, of ministry and pastoral ministry. And Lord, I pray that they would have a front row seat to some wonderful things that you're doing and that you would sustain them in the work, that they would flourish in the work, that first of all, their marriage would be healthy and, and vibrant and a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. I pray for Paul as he uh, carries home a lot of the struggles of of pastoral work, of walking with people in their struggles, that that, that home would be a, a real sanctuary for him and that he would have um, rich, um, um, helpful, encouraging words to share with his wife and family. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to serve alongside Family Fellowship in Greenville. Thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning. Lord, in regards to how we spend these next few minutes, I pray for... Um, I pray for your will to be done. I pray for your work. I pray for the Holy Spirit um, to do the work that you intend. I trust that these are ordained moments. Lord, it uh, surprises me, and it really shouldn't, how you surgically deal with people through one given sermon from week to week. How you give us what we need when we need it, and you're just right on time. I'm thankful in advance for that, that that's what you're going to do in these next few minutes. I pray for an attentiveness that only the Holy Spirit can work. I pray for a clarity that the only, the only the Holy Spirit can give. Um, and I pray that your will will be done. Just turning this time over to you and trusting these few minutes to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have uh, catalogs of stuff in my head of things that I've heard over the years. Um, and things that I've said over the years. Uh, it's not a complete catalog, and it seems to be, I seem to be dropping things, uh, memories, uh, more often than I would like, but there are certain things that I remember that I've either heard um, that were really encouraging and really helpful and really blessed me, or things that were really harmful, and there's also another little catalog there of things that I've said over the years that I can't take back. Um, I was thinking this morning about some of the things, some of the things that I treasure hearing, some words that I've heard in the past um, that I'll never forget that were helpful for me. I heard the words often, 
just enough, I think. Son, I'm proud of you. It's a good word. Good word for a boy that's growing up. I think I heard it just enough. I heard words from a young woman that, um, just two words, that I'll treasure for the rest of my life. From Christy Marie Trimble, I heard the words I do. Treasured words. Some lots of great memories in the good word catalog. Words that I'll never forget. And there's also some words that I'll never forget, not because they blessed me and because they were helpful, but because they were awesome, but because they were harmful. I, uh, starting in about sixth grade, I um, started stuttering Unex- inexplicably. I don't, there's no real explanation for stuttering. It just happens in some folks. And I started stuttering as a sixth grader. I also started putting on weight. And um, from sixth grade on through my senior year of high school, the stuttering, um, it, got to, it got so bad at times where I could not get out of sentence. I, I went to speech therapy weekly. Uh, I remember an exercise that my uh, speech therapist had for me to call a local business and ask them what their hours were. And I heard them answer the phone, and I could not ask. And I heard them say, hello, 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 and they hung up. <laughs> it's just this defeat, you know, this uh, combined with being an overweight young man. Um, I heard words at school that uh, were harmful. Uh, I heard uh, a phrase often. I heard Stop stuttering, fatty, or some version of that, nearly daily. That kind of stuff really um, stands out as stuff that I can remember those moments, I can remember those events, um, those hurt. I remember also as as a boy hearing words from my older brother, hearing the words, this is not verbatim, but something to this effect, I'm not taking you anywhere I don't want to be seen with you. (laughs) Some of you that have siblings, you can understand how we can say some things as young kids that uh, he would never say anything like that now. Um, We don't have that kind of relationship now. But man, we can say some harmful things to one another. Um, And it can leave a mark, a profound mark. I'm convinced that whoever came up with a saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was in denial or delusional. Because <laughs> I really don't think that's true, because words leave a mark. For good or bad, they leave a mark. Today's message is about words and how we use our words and how we can use our words for good or for bad with one another. It's embedded within a paragraph here in Ephesians chapter 4 of uh, some things that Paul is communicating to the Ephesian church that should be characteristic of life together as God's people. Okay, So I'm going to read the whole paragraph, verses 25 through 32, but we're going to be camping out this morning on verses 29 and 30. But I want you to pay attention to an, an interesting flow in this paragraph. Each of these things that Paul points out, that he introduces to the Ephesian church, he presents first a negative exhortation and then a positive exhortation. One of these occasions, he flips those. But then he gives also um, a reason for doing the right thing, Okay, a motivating clause. In this case, this morning, there's actually going to be two motivating clauses. So pay attention as I read and look for the negative and the positive exhortations. 
and then the motivating clauses. Okay, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're going to spend these next few minutes, as I said, focusing on verses 29 and 30. So I'm going to reread those because I want us to sort of immerse ourselves in those verses. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's deal first with a negative exhortation. It's right there at the beginning of verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I can only imagine how this must have been received by the church in Ephesus, mostly populated by Gentiles. When I was served in the Marine Corps, uh, I, I was with my unit for a couple of years, and then I, I was promoted up to, from second lieutenant to first lieutenant. And shortly after I was promoted to first lieutenant, I, uh, I was moved to the role in, in the company as, of the executive officer. So I'm sort of the, the captain's right-hand man serving the entire unit, the entire company of Marines. Um, so I, my office was um, shared with all the platoon commanders, the other lieutenants, and it was shared with all the staff NCOs, the staff sergeants and sergeants and gunny that would come in and out of there. And um, <laughs> I can only imagine how this was received because I can remember how it was received when I had the notion that I would start a cuss can in our staff office. So I put this big Folgers can in the middle of our office and I said, okay, if you come in here and you cuss, you've got to put a quarter in there every time you drop a, uh, drop a cuss word. And, of course, it was met with, what in the world are you thinking? We're Marines. We, if anybody can have rough mouths and, you know, um, share all manner of obscenities, it's Marines, or at least that's the, that's the impression that they had. We had hundreds of dollars in that can within weeks. I mean, we had like a company party that all came from that can. It was funded from that can. In fact, I had a staff NCO, a staff sergeant that was from England and moved to the States, became a Marine he came in and put $15 into the can and said, this is a deposit for about what I'm about to say about my Marines. It's pretty funny stuff. Man, I can imagine how the Gentile contingent in this church received these words. Because the Gentiles in that context, as, as um, Paul wrote and reminded the Corinthians, not many of you are rich, are educated, are influential. They were likely a bunch of real common, salty salt of the earth kind of people. And I can imagine how this encouragement and this charge to watch what you say would have been received. I suspect they would have been surprised to hear that even the way they talked had to be reformed upon conversion. I suspect that they were surprised to hear that how they talked needed to reflect their new identity in Christ. 
The key word in this negative exhortation is the word corrupting. The word is used five or six times in the New Testament, mostly in the Gospels. Jesus uses these terms, and it seems to be, not exclusively, but especially in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, he speaks of false prophets as diseased trees. And that word disease is the same word that is used over here by Paul in the, the corrupting sort of word, diseased words. Later in chapter 12 of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees about their words and identifying their words as bad fruit. So, so far, Jesus has used these words, this word corrupting in the sense of being diseased and bad. Later on in chapter 13, he tells a parable of the net that gathers up good fish and bad fish, and the bad fish are discarded. The bad there is also the same word that's used here by Paul and gives a sense of having no worth So just from some snapshots of how Jesus used the word and how it's used here, we get the sense that the word means decaying or rotten or that which is of little worth. Paul is charging the Ephesians, don't use diseased, decaying, rotten words, words that have little worth with one another. What's interesting here too is I appreciate the ESV translation. The ESV adds an ing at the end of this adjective because contextually that's what's going on here. The corrupting word, it's not just the word corrupt, it's this innocent little adjective. He adds an I, or the ESV adds an ing to it because that's the sense that's brought out here. The focus on this is the disintegrating effect, the decaying effect, the harmful effect, the rotten effect that words can have on others. The potential for words to be corrupting means that your word choices can actually be, hear this, rot-inducing. The words that we share with one another can actually be rot-inducing, decay-inducing. It is frightening the power that we have with our words. Frightening. I want you to imagine just for a moment that you're on a walk with someone and they stop. You're walking through the woods and they stop by a tree and they speak to this tree and they curse this tree. And before the walk is over, you continue on your walk and you come back by this tree and this tree is rotten and decaying and on the verge of falling down. You would probably be pretty impressed with that person and think, I cannot believe the power this person has with their spoken words. Well, the reality is we can do that with every single one of us. We can do that with each other. We have the ability with our words to induce rot, to induce decay, to in fact damage one another. We can do this with people, and we do often. I'm thankful that God, anytime he calls us away from something, he calls us to something better. So here's the something better. He calls us away from corrupting talk that comes out of our mouths. And he calls us to this next phrase here, the positive exhortation, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Instead of letting corrupting talk come out of your mouths, let this kind of talk come out of your mouths, the kind that's good for building up as fits the occasion. Just like words can be rot-inducing, decay-inducing, 
disease-inducing. They can also be building up. They can do the absolute opposite and build someone up. They can be tree-growing, fruit-growing, and health-inducing. Words are powerful if they are well-placed. Healing words for the hurting. Comforting words for the sad and broken. Hopeful words are well-placed words for the hopeless. Trusting words for those who are fearful or worried. This passage could reasonably be translated. I want you to hear this because it's really beautiful. This passage, this phrase, this negative exhortation here, could, or this positive exhortation could reasonably be translated, whatever is beneficial for the building up of that which is lacking in one another. Use those words. Whatever is beneficial for the building up of what is lacking in one another, use those kinds of words. I love the way that's translated. I love the way that imagery because it gives the sense that all of us have some areas of our lives that are rotten. All of us have some damage or some dilapidated sections and wings in our lives that need the words of other people to build them up and reconstruct them. It's a beautiful rendering of that passage because it gives us the sense that we are all needy people and we are also all rich people. We all have need, but we all have the goods to meet those needs, and we can do that with our words, sharing words of encouragement, hope, comfort, and help, and then reciprocating when the roles are reversed and we need to hear all of the above. Man, he has built this thing in us, and it turns out well, we actually need one another. I want to point out something from that positive exhortation though this phrase as fits the occasion in order for words to be well placed you have to have some sense of the occasions in other people's lives and I grieve for folks that are part of a church only in the sense that they show up on Sunday and they come and go and nobody knows them and they don't know anybody else because it's unlikely Apart from the words that they hear in preaching, it's unlikely that they will ever hear these beautifully well-placed words that actually build up because no one knows your occasions. And guess what? You don't have any words for anyone else because you don't know their occasions either. I love what this passage tells us here. It tells us that it's hard, if not impossible, to place words where they need to be if you are oblivious to everyone else's occasions. Man, I think there's so many reasons we might be so. One, we might be so self-absorbed in our own occasions that everyone else's occasions don't exist. And then you're frustrated that nobody's sharing this word of insight and help and hope and building up for you when meanwhile you've got none for anybody else. Man, have this sense that yes, you've got some dilapidated wings, but realize everyone around you has those as well. And what a blessing it would be when you begin to move outside of yourself and forget yourself just for a while and share some words that will build up somebody that has a dilapidated section. Another reason these words, this building up words may never be shared or heard is because you might be hiding your own occasions. You could be self-absorbed or you could just be hiding your own occasions, assuming that everyone else should just know. 
man, Christy and I got into so many arguments in our early years because she felt like I should just know how she's feeling. And finally, we got to the point where like, honey, I am a man. I don't know what you're feeling. And we began to communicate and she's able to share with me things like as simple as, I need a hug from you about right now. I'm like, okay, come here. Man, if you have an occasion, if you have a sadness or a, 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 a difficulty or a fear or a struggle and you're not sharing that, then it's hard for people to give well-placed rounds of good encouragement and hope for you if you're keeping that to yourself. Folks cannot read minds to know when you're hurting, when you're hopeless, when you're discouraged, when you're fearful, when you're worried, or you're sad. And it's unfair to expect a well-placed word when you're keeping your occasions to yourselves. If you're paying attention here and these reasons that I've just shared, hopefully you've recognized that requirements for words that will build up to be spoken and to be heard is to know and be known. If you're not known by the people of God, don't expect to hear good words of hopeful encouragement. Don't expect to hear words that are building you up. And if you're not knowing the people of God either, you've got enough or nothing to offer them. Man, realize in this room, we have both the, the, need, the needy and the haves in the same room. We are the same people, both of those. We have sections that are rotten, but we also, right next to us, someone has a word that can be well-placed to help build that and rebuild that section. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold of gold and settings of silver. Man, I've enjoyed that proverb for years because there have been people in my life that have said just the right thing right when I needed to hear it. And man, it's been a blessing, like apples of gold and settings of silver. Now the motivating clause, here's the first motivating clause, that it may give grace to those who hear. The good news for all of you should be that I would hope would be that you don't have to call for a pastor. You don't have to call for a deacon. You don't have to even call for a life group shepherd to get or give a grace administering, grace giving word. You've got those words to share. Your words actually carry some of, if not the most healing substance known to mankind, grace. Man, what a beautiful reality to think that you've got those words for someone else. You don't have to call for a pro. We're all pros. We've all got the goods. And that would apply from the children, okay, the youngest among us. Listen, kids, that would apply to you. And it would apply, too, to the most stingy among us who are stingy with your words. Your words can administer grace to one another. You have the power, every single one of you, to minister to one another with words of grace. The word grace we've defined before as we've moved through the book of Ephesians as unmerited favor or enablement. In the sense that it's used here in this passage, it gives the sense that leans in the direction of enablement. That there are words that you can share with one another that actually enable one another that help one another uh, become who we're supposed to be. Words that we can share with one another that actually give that sort of uh, empowerment almost. And the second motivating clause is right there in verse 30. 
It's one that we've read before, and I mentioned last week it's sort of an overarching umbrella over this paragraph, but it seems to be closely connected with this verse 29. In fact, closest uh, connection with this verse 29. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Read it together. Listen to it together with verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I believe this verse 30 is a second motivating clause connected to this passage about how we use our mouths with one another. It seems to be the sense that let no corrupting words come from your mouths and don't grieve the Holy Spirit in how you talk to one another. That seems to be the connection here. How we speak to one another can actually affect the very disposition of God the Spirit. Man, I don't know if we have anything that's more powerful than our words, that they can actually grieve. That word means cause sorrow and actually can cause hurt and pain. Man, think about that for a minute. How we speak with one another can actually affect the Holy Spirit's disposition. I want to share just two appeals with you. It's a very simple sermon. It's a very simple passage, and I didn't want to complicate it. There's no reason um, to overbake it. It's simple, but I want to give you two appeals. The first appeal has to do with whose we are. I want you to listen to these words from Genesis chapter 1. Just listen. I want you to listen to repeated words and repeated phrases. Beginning in verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And in verse 8, God called the expanse heaven. In verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. In verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 20, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. In verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. In verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Man, I hope those are familiar passages to you, but the thing I want you to pay attention to and realize is that God could have thought every single one of these things. And just his mere thinking it, It could have happened, but instead he said it. He spoke these things into existence. He used real words. He said, he called, he said, he called. He wasn't, thankfully, stingy with his words. And his words, actually, look what they did. They actually had a creative effect. Man, talk about building up. His words, actually, instantaneously true, were also instantaneously creative He said, let there be, and man, it was. He could have accomplished all of his creative work without speaking, but he spoke life and light into that context. And man, that's what he's done a Bible-wide since then. He said, let there be light, and it was, and it was good. His words were life and light-giving. Now, here's the first appeal. 
If God's words are light and life-giving, then so shouldn't his people's words be as well. Creative, building up, light-giving, and life-giving. Here's the second appeal. The first appeal is to appealing to you to use your mouths in a way that's holy, uh, in a way that's building people up because of whose you are. You belong to him, so you should talk like him. The second appeal is speaking, is how we should speak to one another based on who you are. I want you to imagine that you come into the house at the end of the day, maybe, and the house is empty, there's nobody there, so you turn on the TV. You got the volume turned all the way down. For some reason, the volume's down, and you turn on the TV, and you see this room full of people, and they're all dressed really well. They're clean-cut folk. Um, from the looks of it, they appear to, to know their manners. They seem to be treating one another well. You have the sense that they're pretty much upstanding folks. Um, you might even connect a word to it as genteel. These guys, these people, these men and women actually seem to have um, friend, they, they have sort of relationships and friendships going on where they're smiling at one another, chatting with one another, enjoying one another. And I want you to imagine the irony if when you turned up the volume on this TV, if you heard the language like from a scene from Mad Max. Okay? Now, I watched the Mad Max movie and I know there wasn't a lot of dialogue in the movie Mad Max. But what dialogue was there was not exactly the kind of thing that you would associate with this genteel, with this upstanding context. If you turned up the volume and heard all manner of foul language and all manner of obscenities and heard all manner of abusive, harmful, and crippling talk, if you heard all manner of gossip around the room while they smile at one another, if you turned up the volume and while they're smiling at one another, you realize not only that they're talking about one another poorly, but they're talking to one another poorly. Wouldn't it be weird? Wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't that be strange? How weird is it then if we turn up the volume on us as we're wearing the righteous clothing, clothing of Christ, as we're wearing the new garments of the new humanity, if when the volume's turned up on us, we heard all manner of obscenity, all manner of gossip, all manner of foul language, all manner of abusive and harmful and crippling talk about one another and to one another. It would just not work. It wouldn't be congruent. It would be ironic, not in a funny way, but in a terrible way. I want to point this out to you. This negative exhortation and positive exhortation that Paul gives the church at Ephesus is not given for something that's not possible. Paul's not going to bother with something Giving an exhortation if something is just absolutely not possible. I want you to realize just at face value that there's a potential for all of us to build up with our words or destroy and decay and bring disease to one another with our very words. There's no need to warn us against something that's impossible, but this is possible. It's possible, sadly, for the new humanity to talk like the old this is my appeal, or this is my, those are my appeals, um, to remember whose you are and to remember who you are. You were hard won, and your new humanity, this new identity of who you are, this righteous clothing that you're wearing, 
It should be congruent with what comes out of your mouth. I have some ideas of places you can start. I'd like to first start with wives. Um, Your words have more power. I, I don't know if there can be a more powerful word spoken in a home than the words that a wife speaks to her husband. I want to give you this insight in Revelation, ladies. I don't know of a man that is not influenced by what he hears from his wife greatly. You may have heard of the love languages, the kind of love languages that people have based on their personality, but also based on, based on their gender. And I would say that almost as a rule, that men need to hear words of affirmation from their wives. Okay? Now let me give you this insight, ladies. You actually, you may have married a loser. You may know that already. Okay? But here's the crazy thing. You can marry a loser and you can actually speak him into being worth something. What power you have. You can and maybe did and probably did because I know most of us before we were married or at least I know most of us apart from our wives and I know that's the best thing ever happened to us was a wife. But here's the reality, ladies. You can speak your husband into being worth something. Man, what power you have. Let's start right there with the valuable words, the powerful words that a wife can speak to her husband, focusing maybe instead on all of his shortcomings and all the things he does poorly and all the things he's not doing well and all the things that he's, all the balls that he's dropping, maybe focusing on whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable and actually articulating those things. You might find that he actually does more of those things that are praiseworthy and commendable and lovely, hearing them from you, the most influential person in his life, the most powerful mouth in his life is yours, ladies. Man, speak your husband into being worth something. Now, men, here's the reality for you. I said, I don't think there's a more powerful word than a word that a wife can speak to her husband right behind that. I mean right behind that. The closest, most powerful word that can be spoken right behind that. And I would even barely put it behind it. Maybe it's the same, but I think that men needing to hear words of affirmation is more common than women needing to hear that. Women maybe lean toward the side of quality time or physical touch as a love language. But hear this, men. Men, you can speak your wife and family into being pretty worthless. And you come home from a hard day and you feel like your whole family owes you, you can speak your wife and family into being worthless. Men, you have powerful words that you can come home with because you can also speak them into health. You can speak them into wholeness with words of encouragement and affirmation building up let's start with a husband and a wife in the home and let's follow that up right behind that with children and youth I've had this thought this realization as I've been studying for this passage and studying for this sermon that you know the the words of a wife toward her husband are super powerful there's like a bazooka I mean 
I guess a bazooka is going to be up here. You know, they're really powerful. Um, right behind that, the words of a man toward his wife is like a 50 cal, you know, amazing machine gun. It's going to be really harmful or really helpful. They're super powerful. Well, what's crazy is the words of a child are not somehow less powerful. You know, it's ironic, children. I want every kid in the room to hear this. What's crazy about your words, your words are just as powerful as your parents'. And guess what? Your words for one another can actually maybe even be more powerful. The words that you share with one another, I shared those words, those hurtful words that I remember as a kid. I heard them as a kid, and guess whose mouths they came from? Kids' mouths. Man, the people of God kids should be different, though. Kids that are part of the people of God, kids that are part of families that are enjoying Christ and walking with God and his people should have words that come out of their mouths that are actually building one another up. Your words are just as powerful. I was like envisioning like this open carry. You have to go through this licensing and stuff to get open carry or to, to conceal weapon licenses. You have to go through training and you have to qualify and you gotta have a license. Well, just imagine every kid in the room, you've been given a license that came with your mouths. It came the moment you cried and the doctor spanked your bottom. I don't think they do that anymore, but it came at that moment. You were given a license, open carry, and you can use those words for harm, bringing decay and rot and hurt, or you can use those words to build one another up. And youth, you can do the same thing. You may have the most powerful words in the room. The kind of things that kids can do to each other, the kind of kids that young people can do to one another, the kind of things that you can say about one another to one another should not be true of the people of God, youth. Should not be true. The words that come out of your mouth should be words that are used for building up and words of encouragement and words of help. I guarantee there's some dilapidated sections in every child and every youth and every adult in this room and we have words that can actually help reconstruct those sections. I want to encourage you in these next few minutes. I'm going to read a passage from Matthew 12 for our supper, but I want to ask something of you before I read this passage. I want to ask you to consider how you've used your words. Let's start with this week. Let's start with this week. And I want to start with the men. Consider how you've used your words this week with your wives and with your children, okay? With your workmates, I'll be right behind that. How have you used your words this week? Do you need to ask forgiveness for how you've used your words? Have you brought health and wholeness to your family or have you brought harm? You feel like your family owes you because you've had a hard day at work? Man, you may have said some things to them. We take some liberties with one another that we ought not take. You may need to ask for forgiveness for how you've spoken to your family. Wives, you're next. I want to encourage you in these next few minutes as we take the supper together, you may need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for how you speak to your husband. Man, he needs to hear words of affirmation. I guarantee you've got plenty on him that's negative. I know you do. I know every man in this room, and I know myself. And wives, you can live in that, and you can perpetuate his sorriness by reminding him of how sorry he is. You need to ask forgiveness for how you're speaking to your husband. You need to ask for forgiveness if you're not building him up. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and then ask him for forgiveness. And then come take and eat 
as we distribute the elements. Kids, I want you to think about how you've spoken to your family members. Let's start right there, or your classmates. I know y'all are all out of school right now, but think about how you've spoken. Just start with your family. How you've spoken to your brothers and sisters. Do you need to ask forgiveness? Do you need to clean something up before you come take the supper and eat? Man, do that. This is a great time and a great opportunity for doing that. Youth, with those powerful words of harm or help, do you need to ask forgiveness for how you've used your words with one another this week? Man, let's do that in this time that we take the supper together. I'm going to share a passage from Matthew chapter 12 for our supper. Um, It comes right after a section where the Lord has dealt with blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has to do with speech, just like grieving the Holy Spirit, I think, has to do with how we speak to one another. Here in Matthew chapter 12, he's dealt with this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and how we speak against the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 33, he says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree rotten, corrupt. It's the same word that's used over there in Ephesians chapter 4. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Now he's speaking to unregenerate people here. He's not speaking to God's children that have been won through the work of Christ. He's speaking to unregenerate people, and he's saying, what comes out of your mouth is evil because you're evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned and every week when we take the supper we declare the Lord's death till he returns that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us we read that passage so often every week we declare the Lord's death till he returns and we're declaring it to others but we're also declaring it to one another being reminded that he purchased something for us That he redeemed us, all of us, in every part, including our mouths. What Christ did on the cross is something we remember every week as we take this supper. And what we should realize is that rotten fruit comes from rotten trees. What comes from redeemed trees is good fruit. Period. If you needed a reason to speak words of building up and words of encouragement, let's start right there. Good fruit and words come from good trees, i.e. redeemed folk. It's who you are. Your mouths were redeemed as well. So use them to build one another up. Let's distribute the elements.